Hey everyone, Tim Finley. Be forewarned, the following episode depicts a suicidal crisis event, including ideation, runaway and intrusive thoughts, and graphic description of combat casualties. I'll be frank. If you're here for the horses and don't have the stomach for it, fast forward to the guitar music around the 27 minute mark. If you're a veteran and you're afraid it might be a genuine trigger, I ask that you listen as much as you can, step away as you need, and if need be, please feel free to contact me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or email if you'd like me to just talk you through it instead. I will make time for you. Dude zero one, clear dot. What I want more than anything is just a horse that won't quit. There's no way he finishes. I owe him the chance. Get up. I'm Tim Finley, and this is To Live With Honor. Chapter 6. Life Before Honor So many times a man's thoughts will waver that it turns him back from honored paths, as false sights turn a beast when he is afraid. Dante Alighieri. Inferno. It's better to die with honor than live without it. It is better to die with honor than live without it. Better to die with honor than live without it. Better to die with honor than live without it. Better to die with honor than die without it. Better to die with honor than live without it. Better to die with honor than die without it. Better to die with honor than live without it. Better to die with honor than live without it. Better to die with honor than live without it. It is better to die with honor than live without it. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end, and you could have it all. times had I regurgitated that? How many times had I claimed character I never had? How many times had I been a fraud? Too many. If even once, too many. Seneca wrote, the best way to live with honor in this life is to be what we pretend to be. I wonder if he imagined me reading his words one day, or how deep they would cut. He understood what it was to live with honor. I bragged that I knew what it was to die with it. But I was alive. I was alive. I sat in a museum mock-up of what once was, where furniture and decor are authentic, but no one actually lived there. They call it a living room. How ironic. 
the room was silent and lifeless. At midnight on July 18, 2009, shadows crawled on the walls. A decrepit air conditioner filled the room with the musty scent of 30-year-old cigarette butts. Cracked and broken blinds smattered orange flecks of streetlights around the room. Nicks, cracks, dirt, plaster patches, rub marks, and repainted splotches decorated the walls, where once upon a time, someone hung something beautiful, something meaningful. Dallas, my best friend and roommate, had already graduated pilot training, moved out, and was, quote, living the dream. And I was dying a nightmare. I pulled the cap off the Sharpie and laid it on the glass coffee table next to the half-empty bottle of Jack Daniels. I winced through tears and drunkenness, with the marker poised like a scalpel in my quivering hand. I held a tiny metal object in my left hand. It felt heavier than it should. It was cold, colder than room temperature. I scooted to the edge of the couch and pinned the object atop my knee as I doubled over at the waist, my face inches from my knee. Best as my stupor would allow, I placed the tip of the pin against the small object. I paused. Honor. No, fuck that word. The stupid word had meant everything. I injected it anywhere and everywhere I could. I agonized, humiliated by the reminders of every time I grandstanded the word. The whole damn world must have known my obsession with it. What's more, what the hell did that word even mean? The word is so overused and means so many things that it's just a cheap platitude. The kind of cheap platitude a stupid kid would claim he'd die. No, brag, he'd die for. Now it was crow. And it tasted like shit. No. Honor was not the word for this. Not this time. I didn't deserve the word. Not now, not anymore. There was no honor in this. Or anything before it, for that matter. I wear this crown of thorns Upon my liar's chair Full of broken thoughts I cannot repair My men were better than me, and they were dead. And I wasn't. And I promised them, all of them, I knelt before their families and swore to them. At closed casket funerals, I looked the families in their eyes and thanked them. I knew the carnage inside the sealed casket behind me. And the forlorn faces accepting the flags I folded always reminded me how much better they were. They were my heroes. I volunteered to kneel before the families and then punished myself for living, allowing them to hate me for not being the one in the casket, for being a fraud of the highest order, for wearing the word honor on my chest while their loved ones had theirs buried six feet beneath the earth. It should have been me. But they died with honor, and I lived without it. I promised them, I promised them, I I, I promised them I wouldn't let them down. Those promises kept me afloat but I until I broke them. Everything. 
What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the air And you could have it all Pride. This was a word I understood. Perhaps too well. I once thought I compared to the flags I folded, thought I could match them, be them, even exceed them one day. It was a perpetual flame. Now, the scorched residue of hubris was all that remained. Pride was my tyrant, my slave driver, my murderer. I remembered what gunshot wounds looked like. I imagined the blood and how much there would be. The pen shook as I wrote the first letter. I leaned farther forward as a single drop glided down an eyelash. It thumped against blue slacks beside the object on my knee. I wrote legible capital letters. I wanted them to see. I wanted them to know. I wanted them to know I knew. It should have always been me. There would be no note, no manifesto explaining why, no waste of time like that. They would see the word and understand. Maybe in this honesty, there was some sort of redemption. Maybe in death. Honor came with death. The tiny letters formed in slow squiggles, rotating the little thing as I went. P-R-I-D-E. I lifted the object and clenched a fist around it. Rage warmed my body as it flooded through trunken veins. I gnashed my teeth and convulsed in anger. Ire erupted from my mouth, my nose, my sinuses, my ears, every hole in my head as my jaw locked and broke open with a roar. I will let you I once believed I was as good as them, but they were better than I would ever be, and I was what they would never be again. This is what injustice looks like. This is the guilt of living. I promised them. With my eyes sealed and my face to the floor, I reached my hand to the coffee table I bumped it against the bottle, then the cell phone, then back to the middle. I brushed against my wheel cap. Still searching, I wandered my hand across the table where my fingers fell against cold, indifferent steel. My hand stopped searching. The silver metal gleamed in a crack of orange light as I pulled it towards me. I went through the muscle memory, not looking. Right thumb on release, press, catch mag, left hand. Flip mag, insert round, right thumb. Flip grip, right hand, insert mag, left palm to right butt, right thumb, slide release, pull. One round of pride, locked in the chamber. My body shivered, scared of itself. My augulet 
The braided silver rope worn by an Air Force honor guard jingled its metal tip against my medals as I shook. I opened my eyes to see the pristine shine on the tips of my boots. They were always perfect. Always. I wondered if I polished them as well as I did the Rangers. Fourteen straight hours I spent on his boots. He deserved them. Mine were old boots with unrecoverable miles on the sole and holes worn in the leather. All I had ever known was flying. To slip the surly bonds of earth and lead rough men into contested skies. It wasn't a dream. It was a fate, a destiny, an identity. I dearly loved my country. And my earliest memories involved the rumble of fighter jets overhead. I woke up at college one day in May of 2000 and realized I wasn't what I was supposed to be. I was undisciplined and foolish and not fit to lead, as it were. Rather than worm my way through the remainder of my degree and commission, I left college and enlisted, postponing my ROTC commission and damaging any chance I might have had at a pilot slot. I promised I'd be back. I promised I'd graduate. My father refused to believe it, shunned it, and even denounced it. But a spark lit inside me. From the day I arrived at basic training, I charged with a speed and effort and focus I never knew I had. I discovered talent for overcoming and resiliency. I failed SEER instructor training because I couldn't pass the rucky eval and was reclassed into a communications job I never wanted to do. Yet, I persisted. I volunteered for the honor guard and found my calling. No honor guard at Andrews Air Force Base had ever performed more services in a day, a week, a month, or a year. I did so while still working my regular duty job, putting in over a hundred hours a week at times. After watching the Pentagon burn with my own eyes, the quest for honor consumed me. It became an obsession, as did keeping my promises to return to college earn wings, and to do so now in the name of my men. To relentlessly pursue the dreams they never could. To validate their sacrifice. I was their honor guard. And I promised them. Supervisors advised me to slow down, worried I would burn out. But the fuel never ran dry. The more vocal they became, the harder I ran. The more adversity stacked before me, the more my men from Dover inspired me. As my enlistment drew to an end, I returned to college to keep my promises, backed by an army of heroes. But college the second time was not like the first. The handouts, the safety nets, and the naivete dissolved to reveal something ugly. Genuine fear. This was not imposter haunted house fear. This fear could touch you, hurt you, and kill you. It hung on the walls of the classroom. It clicked with the sound of the punch card at work. It reflected in the polish of every expensive car I detailed. 
It screamed with the alarm clock after three hours of sleep. It came in the words of a letter stating if I didn't make a payment, I would be disenrolled. It laughed from a barren pantry and empty tip jar when I played guitar. It wrinkled my ROTC commander's expression as he chastised me for lackluster performance. It showed in the ribcage of a 110-pound reflection in the mirror. It signed my eviction notice, repossessed my car, and ran off with my girlfriend of five years. I didn't understand the kind of courage this required. And the fight-or-flight response warped my mind. I lashed out, ruined friendships, and bled anger from every crack in my shell, and I was alone. And afraid. I could not afford to fail. I had promises to keep. Two years and four months after returning to college, I made good on my word. My father pinned my new rank on my shoulders. Somehow, after the exhaustive six and a half years, I squeaked into a pilot training slot. The lifelong dream, the impossible achievement, rested in the palm of my hand. How many basic trainees say, I'm going to be a pilot one day, and actually do it? For the first time in those six plus years, I saw a face I had forgotten. The face of a proud father. He wore pride the way I wore my new rank. You believe it now? I do. I had always thought of my dad as a man of honor. For another two and a half years, I flew with ghosts on my shoulder, pushing me to fly better, tighter, and straighter. But their voices had begun to change. They became raspy and confrontational. You aren't a pilot. They reminded me every flight what was at stake. You promised us. You promised. You promised. We're our honor guard. We're our honor guard. They injected critiques after every small mistake and screamed at the end of each bad flight. Ten degrees. Nose. Ten degrees. Trash. 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 Instructor, your trash instructor knows it. I had to work even harder than I did at college to hide it. Anyone who has been through the meat grinder of undergraduate pilot training will profess the brutality of it. It is designed to Darwinistically weed out the weak. They call it the fire hose. If you can drink from it, you'll earn wings. If you can't, you'll walk away soaked, cold, exhausted and a failure. A washout. Most drink from the fire hose for two years, give or take. I drank from the fire hose for eight years, ten months, and fourteen days. I was two weeks from wings. I picked the wrong day to have a bad day of flying. I failed. I washed out and broke every promise. Away, but I remember everything. What have I become? My sweetest friend. Everyone I know goes away. In the end, and you could have it.
Everything I knew, everything I understood myself to be, every promise I had made, every mangled corpse I gave my word to, every wife, every mother, every father and child, I fraudulently thanked, gone. All that was left was the guilt of living and the persistent images of broken men and broken families. I remembered the faces, all of them. The Dover faces had been my cornerstone for years. Some seemed so alive, as if they would sit upright on the gurney and say, Thank you, Airman Finley. Some I couldn't even reason how they died. Others, though, didn't come home with faces to remember. Their empty eyes looked to their own missing limbs and said, We gave these for you. Do not quit. Do what we never will. Be what we never could. Their faces, many younger than mine, told stories of men with dreams and goals identical to mine. Make us jealous. Make us proud. If it be any, let it be you, our honor guard, they said. I couldn't save them. When they needed a hero, I wasn't there. Instead, I promised them. I promised every flag I folded and the faces I passed those flags to. I promised every name and address I pinned on a triangle-shaped box. I promised black bags with perfect uniforms draped across the top. I promised the polished boots of an army ranger. I promised an entire gym-sized holding facility of gurneys. I promised every hearse that left the facility with a salute. I promised them, all of them, I was an honor guard. Honor guards salute the dead. They never left me, for better or worse. In that dark living room, in that moment of the worst, they remained. They stood motionless. Blue faces marred and disfigured, chests shredded, limbs severed, crushed jaws and eye sockets, scorched, blistered skin, and gaping abdominal cavities. They crept out from the black corners and shadows. The horror encircled me as I slouched forward, staring at my own reflection in the polished toe of my boot. You are our honor guard. We're our honor guard. You get to Tears spilled over the dam and flooded down my cheeks. My stomach nodded. With the 9mm pistol in my right hand, I sat in a fetal position. I held the weapon in my lap and leaned forward and pulled the honor guard wheel cap off the table. I put it on and reached for the bottle. I tugged several ravenous gulps and crashed it back to the table. I stared at the gun in my lap atop blue honor guard slacks. I lifted the barrel in front of me, chest high, aiming at the ceiling. 
I heard them. I heard all of them all at once. You promised us. Trash! Why do you promise? You promised us. Why do you get to live? Shouldn't be here. I listened to every disembodied syllable. I heard the sob of every family member hating me for not taking his place. Tears drenched my face. I wanted to be a hero. To wield my honor in the throes of conflict and carry the weak to safety, I wanted to face death and intervene. I wanted to save something beautiful. I held the muzzle to the underside of my chin and prayed for honor. Coward, do it, coward. Do it, coward. My finger pulled slow pressure down on the trigger. The gun shook violently. I didn't even have the courage to do it. The shaking overwhelmed my hands, and I dropped the pistol onto the table. The steel clanged against the glass. I buried my face into my hands. The wetness of my cheeks streamed down the lifelines of my palms and fell to the floor like droplets of blood from an open wound. The phone buzzed turning the table into a rattling earthquake of whiskey bottle, gun, and living human contact. My hands peeled away from my face to look. The display said one name. The only name I ever would have answered. he has nothing to lose, is both a free man and a prisoner of his own vulnerabilities. I didn't know what to dream of or for. I had no promises left to keep. My life's purpose had exploded in a supernova into some giant cloud nebula. I could rebuild a new solar system however I wanted, but I was crushed by the anxiety of not knowing what to build. I feared that I would never have a chance to build anything of similar value, and afraid the truth was I didn't deserve it anyway. September 28, 2009, two months after the phone buzzed on my coffee table, the Air Force reassigned me to Tyndall Air Force Base in Panama City, Florida for air battle management training. Though not at the controls, at least I would still fly. To nutshell the job of an ABM, let me say it like this. Pilots are the chess pieces. The ABM is the player. Some aircraft move differently than others and have different abilities. 
It is the job of the ABM to understand how every piece moves, how to best employ their abilities, and then deploy all of them all at once in a way that leads to the opposite king getting a bomb embedded in his brain. When ghosts weren't tapping on my shoulder, I wasn't a bad one. Unfortunately, they tapped more than they didn't. To abscond from their tapping, I looked for distractions. I looked for purpose elsewhere. I looked for... for her. The first week after getting to Florida, I took a chance. I risked a stitched heart on a sort of blind date. Missy, with an I. Don't ever call her Melissa. I brought a bottle of wine. I dressed nice, or at least tried to. The wardrobe beyond a superhero t-shirt and old jeans was asking a lot. She couldn't find her corkscrew, so to set the romantic tone, I showcased my ingenuity. Praying I didn't slice a finger open, I gouged the cork with a paring knife until it crumbled into the bottle. I'm really good at romance, and corks, and setting tones. I poured Merlot into a plastic cup with a faded pizza company emblem. Cork crumbs floated on the surface. For every one I tried to fish out, two more floated up. She smiled. It's fine, really. A little cork never killed anyone. She was younger than me, light-hearted and playful. At the same time, she was independent and mature in shades I didn't understand. Missy was two parts bodybuilder and two parts fluffy chinchilla. An interesting mixture of sex appeal, snark, warrior princess, and damsel. Her eyes were a deep blue. Blue like the Hope Diamond. Blue like my ceremonial uniform. Thick, rich eyes painted blue thrice over. Missy's smile told the story of a complex girl who thrived in competition and dared the world in front of her, but simultaneously warmed with feathery whimsy when talking about fluffy animals. Her hair cascaded over muscular shoulders in a golden waterfall just a shade darker than Marilyn Monroe blonde. She was sharp with her words, but soft with her voice. She looked at me, expecting me to lead the conversation, and I would not disappoint. So you work out? I tagged it with a spit of sarcasm. She didn't catch it. I run a lot. Millie and I run across the bridge all the time. I thought she was screwing with me. Uh, I mean, you, um, you go to the gym? What are you saying? No, I just run on the treadmill when the weather is bad. You, you look fit. I just presumed you, you know, did CrossFit or weights or something. Dude, shut up. What are you, stop talking. You're making an ass of yourself. She melted into a smile. Her teeth looked unnaturally large for her tiny face. Really? I ride horses, but I don't do weights or anything. Holy shit. It was word vomit. <laughs> what? She laughed as naturally as I cussed. The color in my face matched the cork and wrenched Merlot in my hand. My tongue swelled. Jesus, I'm sorry. I mean, gosh. Sorry. I didn't mean offense. I avalanched in embarrassment. I shielded my eyes. I picked a cork crumb and followed it with my fixed eyes around my cup. I didn't know what to do with it. Her beauty, that is. God, she was beautiful. What I meant to say was, I was kicked in the head by a mule, and it left me with Tourette's. It's tragic. Recovery's slow. She was a mess of smiles and confusion, and I sighed. 
It's fine. If you ever see me around a misbehaving horse, I'll be the one apologizing. I think the answer to your question is yes. This... She gestured with one hand exhibiting her body as she sat. ...is from horses. I ride a dozen or so a day, and some horses are heavier than others. You carry them? (laughs) No, I mean their heads. Some are lazy and like to snowplow with their noses. Rain Man is the worst, but he's also my favorite, so I guess I get extra reps in with him. I had no idea who or what the hell Rain Man was, but I was a big fan of his work. Horses, huh? I like horses. What? You ride? Uh, not recently. But I am a big fan of Secretariat. You idiot, you don't know shit about horses. The conversation remained light and safe. No flipped cards, no folds, no all-ins. As I left, she leaned in with a weak plastic smile and bro-hugged me with friend-zone zeal. Basically, it was a romantic fist bump. I left convinced I would never hear from her again. I returned to my new rental house, hedging on hope. The phone rang two days later. I need a date. I wobbled off balance. Uh, sure. When were you thinking? My friend is getting married tomorrow. Do you want to go? She was direct, but playful. I don't think I have plans. You have no water, no electricity, and your house is a pile of boxes. Go with me. Okay. Uh, a wedding date. Cool. Awesome. Come to my place around three? Sure. See you then. I set the phone down and looked around the living room. She was right. The house was warm, muggy, dark, and showering on base the last few days had been a nuisance. My nice clothes had fallen off the inbox hanger rod and wadded at the bottom. It was 10 p.m. the night before the wedding. My phone died during the night. My alarm didn't go off, and I slept in. I panicked. Flinging my blankets to the side, I fell into gym clothes and raced to Walmart. I used the remaining money in my account after the move to Florida on cleaning supplies for my car. Sweating, I dashed back to the house and rifled through detailing the Tiburon as well as the spinning minute hand would allow. Thank God for all that practice in college. Air fresheners go a long way for a first impression. I ripped through the six-hour job in half the time. I called my new neighbor and pleaded to use her electricity to iron my shirt and slacks. She wasn't home, but said I could use the plug-in on her front porch. I didn't think twice. Before saying goodbye, I ran across the street, iron in one hand, board in the other, clothes draped over my shoulder, and phone squeezed between ear and shoulder. I raced like I was instead carrying a stretcher and shock paddles. Lives teetered on the crispness of creases and pleats. I skidded to a stop outside Missy's house five minutes early. A glance in the rear view showed a sweaty mess from hours of adrenaline. I walked to the door in slow defiance of my pulse. I knocked and heard a woman's voice through the door. Come in. A last calming breath soaked my lungs as I hoped oxygen would somehow synthesize into courage. It was the last breath my old lungs would ever breathe, the last thump my old heart would ever beat. What loomed beyond the threshold of a closed door would have dumbstruck Shakespeare. Relax, enjoy it, just take a chance. Three 
two, one, twist the knob, push, open. She turned toward me from the kitchen and clicked mute on the universe. I'm going to marry this woman. All of existence vaporized into a foggy nothingness, except for the satiny artwork of a lavender dress dancing around the shape of feminine arches and bends. It was stupefying. Her eyelashes swished. It was the only sound for a hundred miles. She looked at me, which made me look at me. In a flash, I saw every drop of potential I ever had. I believed for an instant with granite thoughts that I could be what she deserved. I felt an old familiar twinge of faith, and just as quick, it vanished. I'm gonna have to learn a shitload more about horses. She, her, everything about her drowned everything else out, even the past, even ghosts, even what I wasn't. I was endorphin drunk. They say it's biochemically the same as 40 pounds of chocolate. We went on our date and had a nice time. And due to my lack of lights, water, and air conditioning, Missy allowed me use of her couch and shower that night. I mention this only for one reason. The night of the wedding date, I wasn't home. I wasn't home while my new house was robbed. I discovered this the following morning upon returning home with my new, quote, girlfriend. Despite the crime, the perps had left something behind, done something of a poetic favor. They made off with electronics, my computer monitor, a camera, my Xbox, and games, but one item was missing that I didn't miss. Gone as if erased rather than stolen, and replaced with a notional note reading, the electronics were the price of the favor. My pistol was gone. The 9mm pistol, with one round still in the chamber. Mexico, a soft-eyed mare nickered for her extra serving of evening grain. Her ears perked as the groom emptied out the bucket for her. Seven months along and growing, the kind-hearted lady ate her dinner happy and unaware that her future was already sealed. Meanwhile, I cuddled next to Missy on the couch, content with a past sealed in my pocket. You know it should be easy for a man who's strong To say he's sorry or admit when he's wrong I never lost anything I ever missed But I've never been in love like this He's out of my hands, 
Now, I know for a fact there are counselors, psychologists, and psychiatrists in the listening audience. And I know what you're thinking. What the hell was I thinking? I was in no place to enter into a committed relationship. Yeah, I know. But as I'm sure all of you are aware, there are some people that just have to piss on the electric fence to figure it out for themselves. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned in the last decade is to grant myself the grace to make mistakes and fail. Who we are at our worst is that momentary observation I talked about regarding electrons. It's just a moment. It is fleeting and it is changing and never absolute beyond that one infinitesimal moment. But if we revel in it, then it persists and we remain in that moment and remain at our worst. To be in that kind of place and just toss a rug over the figurative stain is a survival response. It takes wholesale courage to get on your hands and knees and scrub the stain out before letting someone else in. Pain is a consuming flame, and humility is gas on that fire. And when we are not whole, we scavenge the wasteland for something or someone else to do it for us, rather than doing the heavy lifting ourselves of fixing ourselves, oftentimes not even acknowledging that we need fixing, because that, in and of itself, is an existential threat to the superego. And that shit is lethal. Being broken isn't obvious. It's concealable to a degree, and we can fake it to others so long as we fake it to ourselves first. In that process, though, we hurt others as much as we hurt ourselves. Maybe you've experienced the worst. And that's terrifying to consider or process. But you are alive. And implicit in that is that you are stronger and tougher than the circumstances you've outlasted. With that implication comes the responsibility to own that hurt, own that strength, get on your knees and scrub the stain out. What's more, there is an army of compassionate people pounding on your door, begging to help you clean it up. When we grant ourselves the grace to hurt and fail, it is then and only then that we grant ourselves the grace to heal and the grace to be loved. This episode, I'm not featuring a veterans program. I'm only saying this. If you are active duty, call the chaplain. Have that number in your phone and don't hesitate. You call. That's who you call before anyone else. You call the chaplain. Start there. For my brothers and sisters out of a uniform, the Veteran Crisis Line is, grab a pen and paper or get your phone out, the Veteran Crisis Line is 1-800-273-8255. Again, 1-800-273-8255. That needs to be in your phone as well, not just for you, but maybe for someone you know, because you can use that phone number to call on their behalf. Also, there are literally thousands of prevention or intervention resources just a Google search away. Search them now. Not in a time of crisis, now. Don't QC your parachute after you jump. You do it on the ground before you take off. I know this episode was rough. It took me almost a month to grind through it. 
but it has to be told to appreciate where the story goes. And I swear to God, stick with me and I will take you there. I think about you guys all the time, every day. I worry about you and I care about you more than you can possibly know. It is agony knowing that some of you are on the other side of the finish line and don't see a path through the darkness to get to this side. Just stay in the saddle and keep following my voice.